0: Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Bruce, founder and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. More than ever, financial marketers can trigger automatic action by applying behavioral science principles in marketing strategy and creative execution. If you have a behavioral understanding of your customers, they will find you, refer business, and share insights that will help your efforts succeed. At a time when both print and digital marketing involve as much an art as a science, behavioral science is a critical tool for understanding how consumers react to various tactics, strategies, and implementations. My guest in the Banking Transform podcast is Nancy Harhut, co-founder of HBT Marketing. Nancy shares why marketers cannot afford to ignore behavioral science since it can shed light on who buys and doesn't buy your brand. You'll also hear that a thunderstorm comes overhead while Nancy is presenting. We apologize for any disruption that's occurring. Behavioral science is a breakthrough for marketers, enabling them to understand consumer behavior and thought patterns, which in turn allows them to craft better, More targeted communications and campaigns. Nancy Harha is the author of the book, Using Behavioral Science in Marketing Drive Consumer Action and Loyalty by Prompting Instinctive Responses. She's one of the highest rated speakers at the Financial Brand Forum over the last several years, where she also will again share her wisdom this November in Las Vegas. So, Nancy, let's start at the beginning. What is behavioral
1: science and why should marketers care? All right, well, that's a a great place to start, Jim. Um, So behavioral science very simply is the study of how people behave. And behavioral scientists have spent a lot of time and energy actually studying how people make decisions. And what they found is really interesting. What they found is, is people, all of us really, men, women, young, old, rich, poor, very educated, not as educated, B2B environment, B2C environment, All of us rely on decision-making shortcuts. Uh, It's a way to conserve mental energy because we couldn't possibly weigh every bit of information before making a decision or we'd never get around to making any. So we've developed these hardwired behaviors and we kind of cruise along through life on autopilot. And when we encounter a certain situation, we default to these hardwired behaviors, giving them little, if any, thought. And the important thing for marketers is behavioral scientists have identified hundreds of these automatic hardwired behaviors, and some of them influence what we read, who we trust, and when we buy. And that's why it's so key that marketers get out in front of this, that marketers understand what the behavioral triggers are, and that they incorporate them into the strategies and the creative executions that they put out into the marketplace, because it will increase the likelihood that people will do what you want them to do.
0: You know, so it's interesting, because behavioral science isn't new, but it's not a static behavior. It's not something that once you know it, it's that way forever. How has behavioral science changed marketing from let's say a decade or more ago? Because I know you're you're a marketer by trade. And just as importantly, what has changed in marketing as a result of the pandemic?
1: So two really good questions, actually. So I think one of the biggest changes I've seen in the last 10 years with respect to behavioral science uh, influence marketing is uh, behavioral science has entered the C-suite. There are companies now that have chief behavioral science officers. um, And that's kind of a, a major thing. Now, when you think about it, it makes perfect sense because marketers are all about Human behavior, they're all about influencing behavior. Behavioral science allows you to do that. So, why wouldn't you want a, a C level person at the table? But that's something that's happened really just in the last 10 years, maybe just in the last five. Now, coming out of the uh, pandemic, that's also been a very interesting time. You know, we, we went into this pandemic, and, and most of us have never really lived through anything like that before. So uh, we weren't sure what to do. When you talk about making decisions, we weren't sure what kind of decisions to make. And so we ended up relying a lot on social proof, probably even more so than usual. And social proof, of course, is the idea that um, when people aren't sure of what to do, they look around, they see what other people are doing, particularly other people like themselves, and, and they follow their lead. So if everyone was running out buying toilet paper... Well, what we went out and we bought toilet paper, right? We were hoarding toilet paper. You know, if people wore masks, we wore masks. If people didn't wear a mask, we were maybe uh, more inclined to not wear a mask. So we looked at what other people were doing. So social proof has, I think, been amplified uh, during the pandemic. But the other thing that happened during the pandemic is people's routines were interrupted and, and their, um, their freedom was kind of restricted. And suddenly, you know, you weren't doing things the way you used to be able to do them. You know, you you were being told what to do, what you couldn't do. And um, that's a problem for people because people have a a very deep, innate need to be in control of themselves and and their environments. Behavioral scientists call it um, autonomy bias. And it's this really strong desire we have to not be told what to do. So coming out of the pandemic, people, I think, are going to really want to uh, have even more autonomy than they normally would have, because for so long, they couldn't do certain things or they were told that they had to do certain things and the routines were interrupted. And now things are you know starting to get a little bit back uh, towards normal. And uh, people are going to really want to be able to exert influence and have control and make decisions for themselves. And so marketers should really embrace autonomy bias, they of autonomy bias in their marketing. How do you do that? You do that by giving people choices. You do that by reminding people that they're the ones in control. So those are some of the things that I think we're going to see a lot more of uh, in this period immediately following the pandemic.
0: You know, Nancy, you say people often rely on decision-making shortcuts, but does this also apply to decisions as they relate to finances, money, and where people bank?
1: So sadly, the answer is yes. Like, we would like to think that when you're uh, making a decision about money, about finances, that's the time when you're really making a well-thought-out, well-considered decision. And... Sadly, that's not always the case. Very often, people are making decisions based on emotions. Uh, it's emotion that drives the decision, and then later they justify their decisions with rational reasons. They'll tell themselves a rational reason for why they did something, or they'll tell other people if other people ask. But it really is emotion that that drives a lot of our decisions. Now, I don't want to say that you know people never, ever, ever put on their thinking caps, but very often they're not really thinking through what it is they're doing, they're not weighing the pros and cons, they're not putting together a list of, you know, uh, cost and benefits. They're they're really just kind of uh, going with their emotions. And I think that's why, you know, what happens, uh, we see people who are, what's the phrase, they're uh, buying high and selling low, you know, (laughs) which is uh, not what they should be doing. Or they're sitting on a pile of money uh, in a checking account because they're afraid to maybe get into the market or or maybe they carry a different, uh, a certain kind of credit card because of how they feel about that credit card or what they think that card says about them. So very often people are making decisions for emotional reasons, and um, that applies to, to money decisions and financial decisions as well. And they're, they're just kind of responding now and justifying later. For rationalizing
0: later. Well, you know, it's interesting as we were getting on before the podcast, we talked about the fact that we had Dan Aurelli on the show before, and he talks about irrationality. He says, it's in finance, it's just everywhere. You know, in your book, you have 17 chapters. It's a it's an amazing book. And you have 17 chapters that talk about the principles and characteristics of behavioral science as it applies to marketers. As bank and credit unions are always looking to acquire new customers build stronger relationships, and create loyalty over time. Can behavioral science really help financial marketers accomplish this?
1: I believe that it can. In fact, I have uh, clients in the financial services space and I've seen it actually help. So uh, I'll give you two examples. I was doing some work for a small community bank and they had wanted to acquire more checking account customers. No surprise, right? And, um, they, they used a combination of social proof and the reason why. So social proof, we just mentioned earlier, is this idea that we're not sure what to do, we look to others and we follow their lead. Reason why is this idea that uh, social scientists have found that people are more likely to do what we ask them to do if we give them a reason why. So they sent out a letter and what they said is, because so many large banks are raising their, um, their fees, you're probably looking to join your neighbors as you try to find another place to do your banking. So the idea that, you know, it was because the banks were raising fees, that was the reason why, and then the social proof was you're probably looking to join your neighbors. Now, the truth is, people may or may not have been aware of the fact that uh, fees were going up. It was in the news, but maybe you caught it, maybe you didn't. Uh, People may or may not have been, you know, thinking, oh, I really have to go find another uh, alternative. But phrased that way, it kind of gave them this idea that, ooh, if if I'm not thinking about making a move, I'm... uh, I'm kind of out of it. You know, I'm not doing what I should be doing. And um, they got a 31% increase over their control by framing up the message that way. It it really worked well for them. Um, In another example, I was working with a small bank that had been a good choice for people for non-checking business. So maybe they took out a a CD, for example. Uh, But the bank, of course, said, oh, we'd love to to do some more work with them. We'd like to get them into our our checking accounts, into our savings accounts. And so we hit on something called commitment and consistency. And that's the idea that once people make one decision, they're much more likely to say yes when when a similar question comes up. So if you say yes once, you're much more likely to say yes a second time or third time or fourth time. So we wrote to these people and just very simply said, hey, listen, You know, you're already a customer of ours. We really appreciate that. We'd love to do more business with you. Here are three things you might, you know, be unaware of about our checking and savings accounts. And the client came back to us and said it was the most successful mailing they had done in years. And it was really just acknowledging: hey, look, you're already a customer. How about Doing some more business with us, but that idea of commitment and consistency of planting it, you know, uh, in somebody's mind. Oh yeah, that's true. I already did make this decision. I don't really need to think it through again. I'll just follow through, uh, you know, follow through accordingly because I've already made the decision. So it worked very well for them. So I think when you when you apply behavioral science along with marketing best practices. You want to have the right list and uh, you want to, you know, tee up your benefits. But when you add the behavioral science to the marketing best practices, it really is a win-win combination.
0: You know, it's interesting. If you take the opposite of that, where people maybe are changing the decision-making, you know, we, we find in the banking, consumers are now diversifying the number of organizations they work with opening new accounts with organizations like Chime, PayPal, SoFi, and others. Now, what does behavioral science tell us about these types of patterns, people checking out and maybe kicking the tires on things, especially in a digital world that's so easy to open new accounts? And more importantly, how can legacy finances institutions actually combat this trend of customers trying out other organizations?
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, that is definitely uh, you know an issue uh, for for your listeners. So I, I think that the reason we're seeing people flock to some of these new providers can be traced back to novelty. So the human brain craves the new and the novel, and the reason the human brain craves the new and the novel is when we find something that we think is new. It releases dopamine in our brains. And dopamine is often considered the feel-good chemical. So we get a, a hit of dopamine, it feels real good. And as a result, we're kind of jonesing for that next hit of dopamine where we're looking for that next new thing because when we think we found it, we get this really good feeling. So we've got these new providers out there, these new ways of doing business, these new new ways of banking, and we're like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check that out. I'm gonna get me some of that, you know. And I think that's uh, that's what accounts for a lot of interest in some of these, you know, these new players in the market. Now, a legacy uh, bank or credit union, they might want to tap into something called framing. And uh, framing is all about how you serve up the information, the, the words that you choose to describe your product or your service or your you know your, your value proposition. And so what you might want to do is you might want to talk to your customers about what they might lose if they leave. Right? So you know you might be thinking, ooh, the grass looks a lot greener over there, but you know, are you sure it's going to be? And if you leave, you know what you're going to be leaving behind you're going to be leaving behind the you know the uh the customer service here that you know and trust you're going to be leaving behind the, you know the quality products that you've relied on all these years you know you're, you're going to be leaving behind the relationship where we know you and, and uh you've done business with us in the past and you're going to be going someplace else where you may not find those things and um so framing things in terms of what you may lose if you leave can be very helpful, I think, for, for a legacy provider. On the other hand, you know, you'd you flip that around if you were trying to get somebody to, to leave where they are to come to you, it would be all about, if you don't make this move, uh, you'll, you're gonna miss out on things, right? You're never gonna be able to take advantage of our new technology. You're never gonna be able to experience this new way of doing things. you know. So how you frame things uh, is really you know, dependent on what it is you're trying to get someone to do and, and who it is that's putting that message out there. But again, people are, are flocking to the novel. And if you want to keep them where they are, you want to talk about why the novel, why the new thing may not be so good and what you might lose if you make that move.
0: You know, it's interesting. Your book is, is, is large. It's got so many ideas, but so many, I'm not going to call them rules because they're really principles, but so many ways that a marketer can improve what they're doing, can improve their communication, can improve their headlines, their emails, everything else But from your extensive research, and especially as we've gotten into more of a a digital realm, especially after COVID, how important today are simplicity, speed, empathy, and physical convenience in today's marketplace?
1: So I would say that those are very important things, and there's a a behavioral science reason why I say that. So simplicity, you know, the human brain actually does prefer things that are simple. Um, Behavioral scientists talk about something called cognitive fluency, which is kind of a mouthful of a term, but it basically means that people prefer things that are easier to think about and easier to understand, but they don't just prefer them, they find it um, they find that they're more confident making a decision about things that are easier to think about and easier to understand. And so if something is simple, it's going to be easier to think about. It's going to be easier, easier to understand. People are going to feel more confident making a decision about it. So, um, so that's a very important thing. Uh, when we talk about speed, that's another thing that human beings love. We are very present focused. We don't like to wait. We want you know, immediate gratification. Copy blogger li- lists the word uh, instantly is one of the top five most persuasive words in the English language. Instantly, uh, world data, which Matt, uh, which measures about I think I don't know 40 billion emails every year, found that if you put the word minutes in a subject line, you can get a double-digit increase in your opening rate. Like everybody is focused on speed; they want it now, they want it yesterday, right? That instant, immediate gratification, and then of course empathy. I think any marketer can win if they just demonstrate to their prospects and their customers that I get you, right? I understand what you're going through, I understand what your needs are, I understand what your situation is, what you're, what you're looking for. I get it. You know, it's not all about me and what I want to sell you. It's about you and what you need. And, and I understand you and because I understand you, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable Doing business with me. You're going to feel that it's a good choice. You're going to feel that you're going to get what you're looking for because the marketer obviously has demonstrated that they understand you and your world. So empathy is really important.
0: You know, in your book, you have chapters on the power of creating urgency and exclusivity, as well as the importance of value transfer and reciprocity in marketing. How can financial institutions leverage these strategies when so many consumers? view financial institutions almost as a commodity or almost like they're all the same?
1: Yeah, that, that is a good question. And I know that's something that banks and credit unions struggle with. But um, there are times when you can use something like urgency or exclusivity or reciprocity to help move the needle. You know, the idea of urgency, uh, you know, you want to talk about deadlines, you want to talk about uh, limited availability, you, you want to um, talk about, you know, limited options. So, you know, maybe there's... Um, you know maybe there's a rate that's about to go up you know if, if you don't get in at a certain time or maybe there's a certain number of um i don't know free safety deposit boxes and once they're gone they're gone but you know that idea of, of urgency can really make people move the idea of exclusivity is even uh it is even perhaps more powerful and that it's about how you feel if you can make somebody feel that they're special that they're um singled out that they're exclusive People love that. We, as human beings, love to feel that we know something other people don't. That we have access to things that other people don't. That uh, that we're you know we're treated more specially than other people are. You know we just love that. So it's everything from you know lollipops for the kids and dog biscuits for the dogs to, uh, you know, a special phone number that only, you know, our best customers get to call or a special line that our, you know, our recognized customers get to stand in. But, but just any, anything you can do when you're addressing people, uh, when you're talking to them, when you're communicating with them to acknowledge them and to make them feel special can be very, very powerful. Um, and then the idea of reciprocity uh, that's that whole idea of if you do something for someone or if you give someone something, even if they didn't ask for it, uh, once once they have it, they feel like they should return the favor. You know, human beings are are very civil in that respect. Somebody does something for you, you feel you should do something for them. If somebody, you know, sends you a, a Christmas card or uh you know, takes you out to lunch. You feel got to send them a card back. I've, I've got to, you know, pick up the, uh, the lunch bill the next time we go out to lunch. Like we just like to answer in kind what someone does for us. So if, uh, you know, if there's a financial institution out there and they've got a series of how to videos, you know, you know, how to apply for the best mortgage, how to determine, you know, how to save for your child's education, you know, whatever it is, you're putting that information out there for free. People are taking advantage of it. And then when it comes time to actually do some business, Who are they going to return to? They're going to return to the the people that actually helped them when they needed it, that had that information out there. Um, I did some work for a a financial services firm. It it was neither a bank nor a credit card. I'm sorry, neither a bank nor a credit union, but um, it was very interesting. It was a company that sold, uh, uh, you know, funds, and they were talking to their financial advisors but it was a very specific group of financial advisors. It was a group of financial advisors who had conducted no business with them for a year or more. And they decided they were going to use the reciprocity principle. They were going to send these people a gift. And you would say, Nancy, that makes no sense. Why wouldn't you send gifts to the financial advisors that are doing business with you, you know, reward the good behavior? These people haven't done any business for a year or more, like they're they're gone, right? But. This company said, no, we're going to send a gift. And they sent out an email that said, watch your mail. We've picked out a gift, especially for you. A couple of days later, in, in the mail comes this beautiful New Yorker cartoon. It was cute. It was funny. had a funny little caption with the recipient's name in the caption. So every different caption had the recipient's name in it. It was framed. And it had a little note from the wholesaler. It said, hey, how are you doing? We'd love to talk to you, give you an update on what's going on. They picked up $68 million of incremental revenue because of that promotion. So the idea of reciprocity, of give to get, can be very, very powerful. When someone does something for you, even, even if you didn't ask for it, or maybe even if you did, you feel kind of obliged to even the score, to, to give something back in return.
0: Well, it's interesting you talk about in your book also that this is a good way, when you do value transfer, that helps also as you try to collect more information from the consumer. They're willing to share personal information if they realize you're actually going to do something with it rather than just you're collecting more data you know let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast we'd like to thank our sponsor microsoft see how microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. So welcome back to Banking Transform. So today I'm joined by Nancy Harhut, co-founder of HBT Marketing. We have been discussing how financial institutions can maximize the impact of their marketing by leveraging behavioral science principles. So, Nancy, you know, we've been discussing the benefits of behavioral science marketing. What do marketers typically get wrong?
1: Ah, great question. So um, so I think one of the things that, that marketers in general get wrong, but specifically financial services marketers, is uh, marketers focus a little bit too much on themselves. It's all about I, we our products, our bank, our credit union, our checking account, you know, and not enough about you. And I always say to my clients, we need to... Emphasize you, let's not use I we are very often, but let's really boost our use of you because people are more interested in themselves than in anyone else. And if you can use somebody's name, so much the better. And sometimes we can and sometimes we can't. But if you can't use someone's name, the perfect substitute is the word you. You is what I refer to as an eye magnet word. When when people are skimming and scanning. When they see the word you, it literally jumps off the screen or off the page and and it attracts the eye like a magnet uh, because it's speaking to the person. People are interested in themselves. If you can use that word you, that's what's going to pull them in. So when when banks and credit unions go on and on about what it is that they're offering, what it is they want you to do, what it is that, you know, that they're. that, that they feel makes them different. It, it needs to be couched in terms of you. You know, you'll find this, uh, you'll experience this, you'll enjoy this, you, know, you might be interested in this, you can do this here. It, it's all about you. It's not, we offer this, we you know believe this, we've always done it this way, we've been around for, people don't really care. So it's, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes is being uh, too we focused and not enough you focused.
0: You know, that's interesting because, it's one of those things that have been taught in in copywriting classes back in the day. I remember that I still write, and if I come out and start talking about maybe our podcast, for instance, and trying to get guests, as opposed to telling the guests that we'd like to get how this will benefit them, you catch yourself and you go, geez, you know, they don't care about what it's going to mean to us. They really do care about, geez, what's in it for me, and not in a selfish way, but in a way that says, you know help me and i'll help you so you know interesting you also talk quite a bit in your book about the importance of tell of storytelling to build better involvement and engagement you know why does this work And how can financial marketers use this to their advantage?
1: So, Jim, it's really interesting. Behavioral scientists have found that the human brain is actually hardwired for stories. Like, that's how we make sense of the world. And when you think about it, before the written word, stories were how information was conveyed, how information was passed from generation to generation. So they're involving, they're entertaining, they're memorable, Uh, but stories actually really pull you in. And and the human brain is, as I said, hardwired for them. When, When you're just dealing with facts and figures, Only two parts of the brain get activated, Broca's area and Wernicke's area. They're the two areas that that are basically responsible for processing language. But when you start to tell a story, you involve other parts of the brain. You know, uh, if you're talking about a verb, maybe somebody ran into the bank right before it closed. That will, you know, activate the motor cortex. Or if you talk about, um, I don't know, the the smell of freshly printed money, that would uh, activate the olfactory cortex. But the, the net net is... The more parts of your brain that get activated, the better you understand the information and the longer you remember it. And that's really very important because we want people to remember our marketing messages. We want them to understand them, of course, and we want them to remember them. There's a a neuroscientist out of Princeton. His name is uh, Yuri Hassan or Yuri Hassan. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, honestly, but um, he has a really interesting quote. He says that uh, stories are the only way to activate parts of the brain so that the listener forms uh, or I'm sorry, so the listener turns the story into their own idea and experience. So stories are the only way to activate parts of the brain so that the listener turns the story into their own idea and experience. So as a marketer, what better way is there for you to take what you want people to think about and, and put it in their brains, right? Tell them a story. There was a um, there was a bank a number of years ago. I, I, I remember they had this great, there was a radio spot. It was about a, a um, customer and they were at their mortgage closing and they didn't have the paperwork they needed and they weren't going to be able to get it in time. And so the bank just grabbed one of their employees, put them on a scooter, had them you know navigate the traffic and got the paperwork there in time. And you just remember stories like that. I mean, you can say to your customers and prospects, we're really customer service oriented, or you can tell a story and let people come to that conclusion on their own.
0: You know, it's interesting. One part of your book, you talk about something that I fully don't I don't understand completely, but you talk about the motivating uncertainty effect. Can you tell our listeners and me um, how a financial institution might use this to their advantage as well as what it is?
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting. It's another one of those pieces of behavioral science that marketers might find a little counterintuitive. So uh, researchers at Chinese University in Hong Kong found that people are more likely to complete a task with an uncertain reward. So a lot of times in marketing we think if if we incent people if we say look if you do this I'm going to give you that that's going to work and, and we know that it does to you know to a certain extent if you know, do x and I'm going to give you y. But what researchers found was if you're not really sure whether or not you're going to get why or what why is, like if, if the reward itself is uncertain, you're not sure if you're going to get one or, or what it actually is that you're going to get, that can, that can be more motivating. This quest to find out, you know, is the thing that can be much more motivating. And um, we did some work for a client. They were trying to increase the uptake of mobile banking. And so we said, you know what, sign up for mobile banking and we're going to give away a certain number of... Um, of iPhones, and they exceeded their goal by 71%, uh, you know, and and it was, not everyone obviously was going to get one of those iPhones, but it was better than Saying to everyone, you're going to get a you know a five dollar statement credit or something. You know that would have been a uh, a predictable award. Uh, or, but the thing is, sometimes it's the it's the unpredictability that can really be motivating. It's that am I going to win? What am I going to win? Feeling. So um, so you can absolutely motivate people with uncertain rewards. You
0: know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned that sometimes some of the behavioral science recommendations may seem counter counterintuitive. And you just gave an example. Are there any other examples of those counterintuitive recommendations that are actually principles that should be embraced by marketers?
1: Sure. So that was certainly one of them. Uh, You know, when we talked a little bit about that idea of reciprocity, like, why am I going to give a gift to the people who aren't doing business? That was kind of counterintuitive. But one of the biggest ones, I think, is uh, loss aversion. What behavioral scientists have found is people are actually twice as motivated to avoid the pain of loss. As they are to achieve the pleasure of gain but in marketing we're all about the gains aren't we we're, we're all about the benefits the the gains the advantages all the wonderful things that will happen if you just do what i'm asking you to do and uh, so you know very often a uh, write copy and a client will say to me oh can we just change that around a little bit let's make it more positive and the truth is sometimes a little bit of negative actually is what's going to motivate people because people are more motivated to avoid the pain. So uh, maybe it's as simple as saying, instead of take advantage of this, we say, don't miss this. Don't miss out on this. You know, little, I'm not suggesting we walk away from benefits wholesale. I would never suggest that because we know that benefits are important and benefits work, but a little well-placed loss aversion can go a long way. And sometimes that can be counterintuitive. You know, sometimes instead of saying, this is what you're gonna save if you act today, we wanna say, this is how much more it's gonna cost you if you wait until tomorrow. You know, it's, it's kind of not necessarily emphasizing the positive, but motivating the, uh, the behavior because people want to avoid losses. They want to not make mistakes.
0: You know, we're getting near the end. And I'm wondering if you're to give one major recommendation, what would it be to tell our listeners that they could take from your book and why it would matter? In other words, what's one thing the financial institutions really need to do now?
1: Well, I think one thing that, that uh, financial institutions need to do is they need to realize that even though they're talking about a very serious subject, even though they're talking about money and finances, people's you know financial futures, uh, their customers and prospects aren't always making well thought out, well considered decisions. They're they're cruising along on autopilot. They're not really thinking things through. And so anything a bank or financial institution can do to make information um, more more salient to, to to get people to notice it more and to make it more understandable, make it easy to understand and uh, and to just help, you know prompt people to take the behavior that they should take because it would ultimately benefit them. That would be a good thing. So it's it's not only relying on the marketing best practices, but infusing those marketing best practices with the behavioral science because that will, in fact, help increase the likelihood that people will do what it is you're asking them to do. And ultimately, that's going to benefit them as well as the bank or the credit union.
0: So unfortunately, we don't have nearly enough time to cover everything in your new book. You know, I'm excited to be able to join you again at the Financial Brand Forum, where you really become a regular. I think you've, you've been to two or three different Financial Brand Forums. You're going to be joining us again this November in Las Vegas. For those who can't attend the Financial Brand Forum, how can listeners to the Banking Transform podcast not only get your book, but learn more about what you can share to the to banking industry?
1: Sure. Well, I, I certainly I hope I see everybody at the at the forum because it is well worth your time. But if for some reason you can't make it, uh, I'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Nancy Harhut. You can find me on Twitter at nharhut. Uh, you can go to my um, agency's website where Marketing. HBT stands for human behavior triggers. So you can find us at hbtmarketing.com. We're based in Massachusetts, hbtmktg.com. We abbreviate marketing and then uh, would love it. If people want to pick up the book, Uh, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, This morning it was the number one new release in business marketing and the number one new release in uh, consumer behavior. So that was pretty cool. You can also find it. (laughs) You can also find it at Kogan page. They're the publisher. And, um, at the end of this month, uh, on August 30th, it will be available everywhere in North America that fine books are sold your Targets, your Barnes and Nobles, your airport bookstores. So, uh, but you know, nothing like pre ordering to help the author. So, uh, order go. one up right now.
0: <laughs> you know, Nancy, it's been so great to have you on the show today. You know, I. I you, you share so much and and as you mentioned uh to me before we started the book is, is really a large textbook but the reality is as i read through the the, the pages ahead of time it, it's you break it all down in such a way that you can take a chapter at a time and improve the way you market and and it's a whole lot easier than than learning everything about ai and all these other things you know you you give a lot of case studies a lot of examples that really make it so that you can take away so much from your book so again thank you so much for being on the show today and i really appreciate you being on
1: thank you i really appreciate it too
0: thanks for listening to banking transform the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence if you enjoyed today's interview, please take some time to give our show a five-star rating. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research you're doing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Sean Ruhl-Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Maroose. Until next time, remember, the aim of selling is to satisfy a customer need. The aim of marketing is to figure out what that need is. We'd never admit it, but deep down, we all get at least some pleasure from bad things happening to somebody we don't like. History's full of stories about bitter enemies being mutually horrible. Usually nothing good comes of it, but sometimes, sometimes, You get soul singers James Brown and Joe Tex or 17th century nun Sor Juana and the entire Catholic Church duking it out and dramatically changing our world. On Beef with Bridget Todd, we tell the stories of those petty feuds behind some of the greatest art, innovation, and global events. Listen to Beef wherever you get your podcasts.